And welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel is across the way. Hi, guys. Uh, it is game week for Stanford. Um, 8 p.m. kickoff for tonight for this weekend's game uh, against the Stanford Cardinal. Number 23 ranked Stanford Cardinal Ducks playing their second straight game uh, against a ranked opponent. We're going to heavy heavy talk on Duck football. Uh, obviously, this is a preview podcast. We're going to we're going to go through the big questions of this of this game we're going to talk about some injuries and some guys coming back for Oregon uh the outlook for this game kind of how Eric and I foresee this game playing out we'll give our score predictions and then also we'll talk a little bit about just kind of where Oregon's at midway through the 2017 season and so let's let's dive right into this Stanford game um it's a huge one for multiple reasons I, I think it's also a game that's much more winnable than we maybe imagined at the start of the season. Yeah, I think I think at the beginning of the season we circled two games that looked like games would be very difficult to win. It was Stanford at Stanford and at Washington. Those were kind of the two de facto Pac-12 North favorites. Kind of have been along with Oregon every year since it's gone to 12 teams. Um, and watching how Stanford has played this season, I think you could probably classify them as a bit of a disappointment. Offensively, Bryce Love has been unbelievable. He, he has been candidate. He averages a first down every time he, he carries the football. He averages 10.5 yards per carry, which is unbelievable. He's had a 50-plus yard run in all uh, six of Stanford's games. Leads the country in rushing. Actually, if they were playing a bowl game right now, his average yards per game would actually um, project him to pass Bryce Sanders for the all-time rushing record uh, for a single season. So this guy's having an incredible season. But outside of that, they're pretty average. Their defense, I, I ran, I looked at the kind of the Pac-12 numbers. They're no better than seventh or eighth in anything yeah. this year. So there's a, it's they're not, not your typical Stanford defense. It's not, not your typical Stanford defense. Their, their passing game has not been consistent. They have, they've actually been switching between two different quarterbacks, um, Killer Chris and and uh, KJ Costello, and, and it looks like they're going to give Chris the start this week. But they've kind of swapped back and forth between who gets the start, and both have played I think in um, each of the last four games. So. This is this is a team that is probably not quite what we thought they'd be. With that said, it's still Stanford. They're still on the road. They have arguably the best running back um, in the country in their backfield, which it seems like you can say that every year. Yeah. Um, I mean, That's swap out true. Christian McCaffrey for Bryce Love, and Bryce Love's production is just almost exactly what you got. I mean, six got. games, and he's, he's got over 1,200 yards rushing. It's unbelievable. Um, and so... I think it, it, this is one of those games where, you know, unfortunately, Oregon is that without their starting quarterback. But if they had Justin Herbert, I think the line may be favorable for Oregon coming in. And I think a lot of people nationally would be picking the Ducks to win this game. But obviously, that's not the case. Um, and we'll kind of get to kind of where we think things shake out in a couple minutes here. But um, I, I guess the big question here is, is can this Oregon defense do enough to keep the, you know, to, to minimize what the Oregon offense has to do? We right. saw against... Washington State for one half, the Oregon defense did enough, and the Oregon offense did just enough to kind of sneak stay around. Second half, not the case. Not right. that the Oregon defense played particularly bad. I didn't think they played that poorly. Gave up 20 points in the second half to Washington State, um, but obviously the Oregon offense wasn't able to do enough. And I think again, if the Oregon defense is able to hold Stanford below three, four touchdowns, keep it in the keep the game in the 20s or below. You'd think that the Oregon offense this time around would be able to have enough firepower to 
to at least make it really competitive. Yeah, and, and this whole season for Stanford's been kind of strange because they open the year in Australia against a terrible Rice program and won 62-7, and it was like, Stanford, Stanford, they're exactly what we thought. Yeah. You know, but you also took caution of Ed Rice, first game of the year. <laughs> then they went to the USC, and they never were really in the lead, and they never were really uh, in a position to really take a, you know take the lead, and they, and they fell. But they didn't really necessarily get blown out either. Um, they lost 20, uh, 42 to 24, and then I think when we kind of realized that USC maybe wasn't typical, uh, Stanford wasn't typical Stanford, was the following week at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego when they lost uh, 20 to 17 to San Diego State. Now, San Diego State's undefeated. They're, I think, a top 15 team now. They've, they've lost four games over the last, like, three years. They're, they've been really, really good. So, you know, San Diego State's a good program, but the way that they lost that game was kind of surprising. They've come back and rattled off three straight wins, and um, a couple of them have been have been pretty impressive. A 58-34 victory over UCLA, a 34-24 victory over Arizona State, but then this last weekend a team against Utah, a team who's known for good defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Utes uh, kept that one close the entire way with the backup quarterback that couldn't throw the football either, yeah. and Troy Williams, and, and Stanford only won 23-20. And so we've got a game against or- yeah. uh, Stanford now, against Oregon. And the, for me, the question is going to become, how how truly good is Oregon's defense? Because this is one of those games where it's going to be – a defensive slugfest and who can kind of create turnovers. That's what Tyree Robinson said uh, this week at interviews, Oregon safety, that the last two weeks, Oregon's defense hasn't really created any kind of a turnover. Um, and that's been a big factor in why they haven't been able to win some games or, or played so well um, as a team. And can Oregon's defense kind of create some momentum on their own, get, get a turnover, flip the field. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what it's going to take. For this Oregon team to, to to pull off air quotes the upset against Stanford and Stanford has to their credit been very very good with keeping the football. I think they've had five turnovers all season, two interceptions, and three fumbles. So um, this is not a team that is particularly at you know they don't they're not a team that turns it over very often. Oregon has played some teams that do turn it over pretty regularly and has taken advantage. Um, so it, it Stanford's a difficult team to turn over in that they. They throw it very infrequently. They run it a lot. Their Bryce Love does not fumble the ball very frequently. Um, and when they do throw the football, it's usually on play action. And it's usually pretty low-risk passes. So I think the unfortunate thing here is, is that if Oregon was able to get ahead early, which I'm sure is everybody's game plan against Stanford, yes. force them to try to throw the football, which they're not very good at, which is exactly what um, USC was able to do in Week 2, that might force them to make some mistakes, throw some interceptions, but if Stanford is able to get ahead early, they're not a they're not a team you want to play from behind against. And especially with Oregon, Oregon's not a team right now that's really capable of playing from behind, as we saw against Washington State. Once once that game kind of opened up for Washington State um, on Saturday, Oregon didn't have a whole lot of a chance. I mean, it, it, was, it was very it was very tough going in the second half there when they were trying to press a little bit to move the ball down the field. Um, in the air, and obviously they weren't capable of doing that, and maybe that's a good transition to some kind of injury discussion here, um, because Oregon was with true freshman quarterback Braxton Burmeister last week. Sounds like Taylor Alley, who had been the number two quarterback all season, 
who did go down at the very end of that Cal game with a concussion, was not good to play last week. Sounds like he'll be available this week. Yeah, Taggart kind of openly and kind of from our perspective, from what we've been used to in the last right. six, seven years covering this football team, kind of shockingly, just kind of flat out this week came out and said, yeah, Taylor Alley is practicing. He's cleared to play. And so is Nick Pickett. So is Charles Nelson. So is Dylan Mitchell. And then he also confirmed later on that Royce Freeman was back at practice on Wednesday after at least not being visible for the part that media were allowed into on Tuesday. We don't right. know if he finished practice, but he wasn't there when we were there uh, Tuesday. So it sounds like from a injury front, Oregon's getting some good news this week that could have huge ramifications uh, on the offensive side of the ball because I think you and I agree that defensively they, they played well enough to, to win that game against Washington State. Absolutely. And, yeah, they gave up 33 points, but some of that was because they were just – playing with an offense that couldn't move the football and, and put the defense in really tough positions. And if they had a, you know, some yin and some yang with, with their defense and their offense together, um, things could have worked out differently for, for Oregon in that game. And they, maybe, you know, they put a, a couple scoring drives on, on the field and that changes the outlook uh, of the entire makeup of that game. And so getting, getting those guys back is huge. I think... Royce Freeman, obviously, you want him back. He's one of your best players. But you had the depth to kind of withstand that injury, I think. Um, but getting Nelson and Mitchell back are complete game changers for this program. Well, they, they, they especially help out when you have either a true freshman quarterback or a senior walk-on, who's now Allen Scholarship and Taylor Alley, um, who are, neither of whom are particularly adept passers. I'm not trying to be mean, but not, that's not what their strength of their games are. Having two guys that are able to go and get open regularly, and I think Charles Nelson especially with kind of the route sure he runs, a lot of stuff underneath, that should... Everything changes. That should be that should be a very... That should be a completely different dynamic for whoever it is under center. And, you know, part of the reason it was so difficult for Braxton last week was that he's basically playing without his top two wide receivers in his first game against a very athletic, aggressive defense. Not that Stanford's not as athletic... Of course, aggressive. Stanford does not approach things the same way Washington State does. Washington State, lots of blitzes, lots of pre-snap movement. With Stanford, they are kind of what they are. They're gonna, they've got a bunch of big, strong guys up front. They're gonna come after you. But as the Oregon offensive line guys told us on Tuesday, they kind of fit more into what we're used to playing against. I think they were sort of shell shocked by not only all that pre-snap movement from the Cougars last weekend, but just kind of the, the sheer athleticism off the edge with. Hercules Matiafu and, and those other ends that are kind of smaller, more athletic guys. Stanford kind of more traditional. Um, I think this is a much more favorable matchup, not only just because you have a quarterback who might be making a second start with a bunch of, of wide receivers that are um, now back and kind of have your full host of options out in the passing game, but also because Washington State is a completely different animal than Stanford. I think Stanford's a much better matchup just defensively to Oregon than what they saw last week. And one thing of note for the Stanford side of things is that, while it's not necessarily an injury, it's pretty big news. They had two defensive starters, uh, defensive tackle Harrison Phillips and starting linebacker Peter uh, Kalambai, both get pegged with personal foul targeting penalties in the second half of that Utah game. And I Huge. think I think they both came um, in the final three or four minutes of Last that possession of the game for Utah. Of that game for Utah. And that then means both those guys are out for the first half 
um, against Oregon this weekend. So Stanford goes into this one with automatically two starting defensive players for this position group and two of their more experienced position players for that defense. And let's be quite honest, they're not very good. Well, Harrison Phillips, that defensive tackle, is the rare nose tackle that leads the team in tackles. I, I, I've not seen that very often. Typically, the guys who lead the team in tackles are linebackers, maybe a safety, maybe a corner if, if, you're, if you're playing a bunch of pass-heavy teams. Nose tackles don't usually lead the team in tackles. He leads the team in tackles, tackles for loss and sacks. So this is kind of this is their star defensive player who's not going to be there for the first half of the football game. And not only that, he plays in the middle of their defense, which means Oregon, which has kind of transitioned over to being a little bit more of a power offensive running game. Maybe they have a little more success early on. Maybe they're able to, with Royce Freeman running up the middle where Phillips would have been and now their backup is currently going to be playing for the first half, able to get a little bit of something going early. And like we said, maybe they have some success. They score a couple touchdowns in the first half, and that lets them hang around in the second. Or who knows, maybe they they, they blow up in the second half and, and kind of run away with it. But I, that I think losing... Phillips, and then I think uh, Kalamba, I don't know how you pronounce his name, yeah. K, Peter K, in, in, the, in the middle there, um, those are big losses for Stanford because Oregon is, I, I assume, going to come into this with the same game plan they came against Washington State, where they're just going to try to pound it up the middle as much as possible, and if you take away two of Stanford's most important players in that part of the field, it, it should have an impact. I think you look at this game, and... This is going to be a, a, a clear indicator of how much development, how, how much improvement we have seen up front from Oregon's front seven. And in particular, even more so, um, their defensive line group, where you've got Henry Mondu, Je- Jordan Scott, Jalen Jelks, uh, Austin Fialo, Drayton Kahlberg, Scott Pagano. Mm-hmm. Now, these have been regular players for this football team. How... This is, the, this is the game you need them to play at their best. Because Troy Dye said it best this week when he was asked, how do you stop a run game like Stanford's? How do you stop a running back like Bryce Love at Stanford? And his first response was, your D-linemen need to play well. They need to, get, they need to shed blocks. They need to command double teams. You need to force Stanford's offensive line to focus on the D-line instead of having a guy go down the level and get to the linebackers. Or, or you know, because if, if Troy Dye is having to take on an offensive tackle or an offensive guard uh, one-on-one in that type of a situation, I don't care how good Troy Dye is. I think Troy Dye is an All-American. He's going to lose that, that battle more often than not just because it's <coughs> it's sheer size. There's, 100-pound difference. It doesn't, and, and it doesn't matter if it's Troy Dye or if it's an Alabama linebacker. If – if you're playing against an elite offensive line like Stanford has and you're pairing up an interior offensive lineman against a linebacker, eight out of ten times, seven out of ten times, that lineman's going to win the battle in a one-on-one situation. And, and, and let's not forget that Stanford up front is basically five-star, five-star, five-star across that front. Yes. I mean, if there's one position group Stanford is able to recruit well year in and year out, it's up on the offensive line. And so... You're not looking at a, and that's part of the reason why Bryce Love and Christian McCaffrey before him, and all those other backs. You know, looking back in the last five years, have had so much success. Is that Stanford front has always been very, very good. Lots of tons and tons of NFL talent coming there. Tons of talent coming at tight end, which is another thing that Stanford is going to 
um, present, which is multiple tight end sets. We'll probably see that quite frequently where they put two or three tight ends out there just to go heavy and force Oregon maybe to go. Maybe Oregon goes with four defensive linemen. Maybe they bring put more in the box. But it is going to be a the biggest challenge of the season probably this year for this this Oregon defensive line, and, and it's not going to be one that's going to be particularly easy. But we've seen it over the past couple of weeks. This defensive line group looks up for the cha- up for the challenge. They've they've been in the backfield a lot against some pretty good run games. They've they've been active. Um, but I agree, this game is going to be one of the trenches on both sides of the football. It's Oregon's offensive line against Stanford's defensive line, and, and Stanford's offensive line against Oregon's defensive line. And if Oregon is able to get the upper hand in one or both of those, they'll have a shot. Yeah, I think you you look at this game between the Cardinal and, and the Ducks and. Like you said, Eric, the trenches is where it's going to be won. You know, this is a huge game for Oregon's offensive line, too. A big show-me game, mm-hmm. I think, because against Washington State, they did not perform to the level. I think many of us have kind of held a standard to. This is that next test for them to see if they can carry a team you know, with, with limited options at, at quarterback. I think what's encouraging is after... Oregon offensively, especially that offensive line group, took a lot of ownership for that Arizona State loss, and they didn't feel like they played well in that game. They came back against Cal and just dominated. If they're able to do something similar here where didn't play well against Washington State, come out, try to bounce back against Stanford, they'll give themselves a chance because <clears throat> they're, certainly, they're certainly not going to be lacking motivation um, this week. Do you want to jump to score predictions real quick? Yeah, yeah, I think... Um, and if you're listening to us on Facebook, go ahead, drop your questions in. If you're not listening to us on Facebook and you want to know how you can do it live, just go to Oregon. Uh, Facebook.com slash Oregon247 and like our page, and you'll get notifications um, of when we go live. Uh, so go ahead, drop your questions in now if you're listening to us. Uh, we'll try and get to those here in a little bit. But I, I think this is a very winnable game for Oregon. We've, we've said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would not be shocked if Oregon won this game. It's a, and ironically enough, it's a ten point favorite. Uh, Stanford's a ten point favorite in this game. I think it's going to be much closer than that. Um, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think both offenses uh, are going to face a, a defensive front that's basically nine guys in the box and right. and two corners on islands saying throw the football. We dare you. Um, and it's going to come to attrition. The depth. On both teams, and what play, what teams can make defensive turnovers, flip the field, and who can get the big explosion plays on offense? I just don't think with Braxton Burmeister at quarterback, the uncertainty of Taylor Alley at quarterback, we don't know how he'd perform yet, not knowing how he, he would handle playing that stage. Finding 20 points, 25, 24 points for Oregon is going to be very difficult. I think that's going to be what it's going to take to win. Um, I have Stanford winning a very close, closer than expected performance, 23-17 over the Ducks. And, and I'm, I think we're on similar wavelengths here. Um, it's hard for me, based upon what we saw, especially the final three quarters against Washington State and, and at times against Cal when shortly, you know, that, I guess the rest of that first half against Cal after Herbert went down. Expecting this offense to be able to score anywhere near where they were with Justin Herbert at quarterback. I mean, remember, even after that Cal game where Herbert only played the first quarter, Oregon led the country in scoring. Yeah. They were averaging 49 points a game, even after that game. They are not 
probably going to reach that no- number or even maybe even half that number the rest of the season unless just until Herbert comes back. So I have Oregon very similar to you playing a close game. I have Oregon uh, falling to Stanford 27-21. Um, I just think Bryce Love is such a tough guy, to, tough guy to shut down. and I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon holds him to his lowest rushing total of the season, but that's probably still going to be over 140 yards. I mean, his, his currently his I think I think I think Utah held Bryce left 152 yards and that was like 40 yards lower than anybody else had this season. It's just difficult to expect Oregon's defensive front, which I think has been tremendous this season. You can't diminish how much improved they have been, and Joe Salavea deserves a ton of credit along with Jim Levitt. It's it's tough to stop this guy. I mean, he's averaging a first round every time he touches the football. Expecting them to to slow him down enough where. Oregon is able to win this game. It seems almost a little bit unreasonable, just because that offense. It's hard. It's hard to expect them to to score more than three touchdowns. One small note I want to ask you, um, and we'll get to these questions that are popping up on on Facebook Live. Is it's you're comparing apples to oranges here a little bit, but what defense do you think is better? Cal- Colorado's 2016 defense that won the Pac-12 South division, mm. uh, or is Oregon's 2017 defense uh, better? Because the reason I ask this question is because Jim Levitt has dominated Stanford before. Mm. Last season, uh, in a game, I believe that was in Colorado, uh, the Buffs upset Stanford 10-5. to Stanford didn't score a touchdown. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, the guy, I think everyone here that listens to this podcast, everyone that's seen college football last year knows and re- would respect Christian McCaffrey's um, talents, was held under 100 yards rushing. Stanford was held to 263 yards of total offense. At, Levitt knows the secret, apparently, of how to stop this team. It's just can he do it again with a different defense in Oregon? Well, and you have to be encouraged by what you've seen just from this group through six weeks. I mean, at the midway point in the season, this defense is significantly better. And basically, every, I think in every single statistic, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, I, I I can't think of a way where they're worse. Um, does he have the, the secret sauce against the Cardinal, so to speak? I don't know. But I do know that this defense is going to be up for the challenge, and Maybe maybe giving them twenty seven points or twenty three points like we did is is being too generous to Stanford. Maybe this will be a game that ends up being played in the teens. And if that's the case, Oregon's chances of winning significantly improves because we know that they're not going to go out and score forty points. Probably not going to score thirty points. May not even score twenty points. But I think it's completely completely reasonable to expect them to reach double digits. <laughs> One would hope, and. If the Oregon quarterback, whoever that is, is able to manage the game, not turn it over, not give Stanford points or, or a good field position, then yeah, maybe. May I, I, that's impressive statistics there. Um, <clears throat> against the Stanford offense, which has been pretty consistent um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats right here. Um, Oregon's scoring defense for 2017 has actually taken a huge dip the last few weeks. Right. Uh, 41 points allowed per game. That doesn't. That's not, I don't think that's right. Yeah, that's, excuse me. That's last year's numbers. Yeah, I was gonna say there's no way. That was. I don't think they've given up 41 yeah, all season. It didn't make sense. Uh, but you you look at this. It's 75th now. It's 20 
27.2 points per game that, uh, that they allow. Um, Colorado was 44th last year in the country, and they gave up 22.7. So about, about five-point difference uh, there between the two teams. Uh, you, you look at yards per game, Oregon's defense is 29th in the country. Uh, they give up 338. And I know that's not the best stat to use. We're just using that just as a baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado's total defense last year was 19th, 342 yards. So very very similar numbers there. I think they're very comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would certainly say, though, that on paper, Oregon probably has a more talented defense than what Jim Levitt had recruited. Now, what made that Colorado defense so good and what made Jim Levitt earn his $1 million contract from Oregon was that he was able to find diamonds in the rough. He was able to develop guys into better players uh, than, than they were coming in to that Colorado program. At Oregon, we, you know, we've yet to see their true recruiting prowess uh, play out yet. But Henry Mondu was a, a pretty highly regarded prospect. Jalen Jelks was a pretty highly regarded prospect. Um, you, you've seen Troy Dye. We've seen Jonah Moy and Justin Hollins. They had quite a bit of options. Secondary seemed to be pretty talented <laughs> on paper coming in out of, as high school prospects as well. Um, so that's, my, that's like my one question going in is, does Jim Levitt have the secret sauce to beat this Stanford team? Because he did it last year with, I would think to say it's a fairly reasonable statement that Stanford, I mean, Colorado probably doesn't have as much talent on paper than Oregon does, does right now this season. Let's jump to a couple questions here. Uh, do you think the return of some starters will help the uh, offense click, asks Dustin Peterson. Absolutely. It, I mean, it, it, you can't hurt. I mean, it really can't. Um, Oregon was basic, you know, I, I, you had to feel for Burmeister because, you know, not only is the offense kind of playing with its left behind behind its back with the backup quarterback, but they're also playing with the right hand behind the back because there's no playmakers out there in the passing game. And you get behind in a football game and you, A, don't have a quarterback who has much experience throwing the football at this level, and B, don't have any, many guys out there that are experienced catching the football. It's really hard to do much. Um, and that's where they became predictable and, and, and where Washington State was able to load the box and stop the running game. And, uh, you get Charles Nelson back this week. You get Dylan Mitchell back this week. Those are two of the team's more reliable and more experienced receiver, even though Dylan Mitchell had like two catches coming into the season. Um, those are big additions, uh, certainly. And, and I, I do think you will see the Oregon passing attack. I'm not saying it's going to be markedly better, but I think you'll, you'll see them be maybe a little bit more aggressive this week. I mean, I don't know how it wouldn't help because Washington State, they need about a quarter to realize, hey, Burmeister may not be – the thrower or, you know, as good of a passer as Herbert and certainly maybe isn't as accurate. I mean, it was his first start. It was, you know, true freshman being thrust into a difficult role and you have to commend him that. And I'm not trying to to just downplay Burmeister at all, but yeah. you also have to be realistic. You know, he's not what Oregon has seen at quarterback the last 14 games with Justin Herbert. Um, they needed about a quarter to realize that. But another aspect of that was the receiving core was also just drastically, no offense to them, not even close to what it, it's like when you have a Charles Nelson and you have a Dylan Mitchell on the field. And so when you combine the two, you kind of just knew that, hey, let's just load the box. If they convert a play, they convert a play. And until they do it on a consistent basis – we're going to keep doing what we're doing and loading the box and, and making it impossible for them to run the football. Now with the fact that Burmeister's got Mitchell and Nelson back, they can run some underneath routes. They can run some screen routes. 
they can they can get some creative ways to get Nelson fly sweeps. Um, you've got ways now to to do things other than just running the football. And sure, you may not be able to throw the forty yard, fifty yard bombs downfield, but those guys were effective on the the, the twenty and under plays, twenty yards and under plays, and that's kind of their specialty, and that's kind of what. Burmeister is going to have to do anyways. That's kind of his strength right now. So it's going to—I think it's going to have a huge impact. Is it going to be enough to win the game? That's the big question. Dustin Peterson and Adam Walsh basically asked the same question here. Do you think they'll be more aggressive um, with their play calling? Both said the last—they thought last week was conservative. I don't necessarily think we should expect them to come out and just bomb the ball down the field. And frankly, I don't even know if it's in their best interest to throw the ball down the field very much because those are for for what we've seen right now pretty low percentage um, plays for this offense. And I think you're better off mixing in some pass, but trying to run the ball. I mean, I think I think you have to establish that running game. You have to obviously establish the threat to throw the football. Um, and that's where converting those, you know, third and fives and, and throwing the ball underneath and intermediate passes to, to Mitchell, Nelson, and Schooler, a guy who, who played really well last week, Johnny Johnson, Jacob Breland. Those become more important. I don't necessarily think you're going to see them come out and just bomb the ball down the field because, frankly, we haven't really seen a whole lot of that all season, even when Justin Herbert was healthy. I mean, they made – I remember the the comments after the Arizona State game was, why do they keep throwing the ball deep? They're, they're, they're just throwing these deep passes. Why are they continuing to do this? Isn't there other things to run? Um, and that's with, I think, you know, it's fair to say, the most accurate thrower on this team – um, and Justin Herbert, yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to, A, have the time to throw the 50-yard bombs. Um, I don't think they're also going to be able to to accurately throw those 50-yard bombs. Because, look, you want to put Burmeister in the best position, or if it's Taylor Alley, um, you want to put the quarterback in the best position he can to, to make the plays that he can make. You don't want to ask him to do things he's not known to do. You don't want him to be Justin Herbert. You want him to be just play the strengths of those, of those two quarterbacks and build your offense around that. I think they can still be effective throwing the football. It's just going to be differently. Can Maybe you have the rollouts and the RPOs, um, run pass options with Burmeister or Taylor Alley. If, if nothing's open, tuck it and get four or five yards <coughs> and then get down. Or maybe you run you know, everything going to the right side of the field or, or to the left and you roll them out that direction. Um, and they had a lot of success with Burmeister on the rollouts, um, especially late in the game with Schooler. Um, maybe they find ways to, to, to get the passing game open that way. All right, that's all we have for questions, and I think that'll probably do it. Yeah, I think you know that we're gonna try and keep these these podcasts moving forward. You know, somewhere around thirty minutes, and um, we've been going over forty, sometimes fifty minutes. So uh, maybe that means we do another one throughout the week. Who knows? Um, but again, if, if you want to be able to to listen to us live, just go to facebook.com slash Oregon two four seven. Like our page there. Uh, and you'll be able to no- get notifications of when we go Facebook Live. Eric's going to be uh, at Stanford this weekend, so follow Eric Scopel uh, on Twitter for your pregame, in-game, and post-game coverage. I'll be helping him remotely, um, but he'll be live on the scene giving you guys the coverage of Oregon and Stanford kickoff 8 p.m. FS1 at Palo Alto. And then uh, make sure to go to DuckTerritory.com for all your Oregon football coverage needs. We've got a ton of stuff up on the site daily and tons of uh, stuff to cover for this weekend's game against the Sanford Cardinals. So until we talk to you probably Monday Monday or 
maybe if you're listening to us on Facebook Live, 